Hello, Lagos. Good afternoon. I am Sandra Ezekwesili, and these are your hard facts. Uh, if you're tuning in for the first time today, congratulations. You are in great company. We've got over a million people who listen to this show, and if one million Lagosians listen, they cannot be wrong. Thank you for tuning in to Hard Facts. I have a great show for you. We're uh, doing things a little differently today. Now, as we get closer to uh, next year's general elections, uh, we believe it's very important for you to hear directly from the men and women who want to lead the country at all levels. And that's why my guest today is a former two-term governor of Kwara State. He's also uh, represented Kwara State in the Senate, where he was also president of the 8th Senate. In 2018, he contested in the People's Democratic Party uh, presidential primary unsuccessfully. And now, four years later, he has declared his interest in the PDP ticket yet again. Dr. Bukola Saraki, welcome to Hard Facts. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Lagos, you can join the conversation as well. I'm sure you've got questions for Dr. Saraki. Uh, I'll be taking them at various uh, points in the hour. We're streaming live on Facebook. Don't forget, Facebook is Nigeria Info 99.3. YouTube is Nigeria Info FM. If you've got questions, send them to WhatsApp. WhatsApp is 080-959-75805. 080-959-75805. 805. Uh, uh, reach out to us on Twitter at Nigeria Info FM. Reach out to us on Facebook, Nigeria Info 99.3. Reach out to us on YouTube, Nigeria Info FM. Women call us on 01465-7190. Men call us on 0700-993-993-993. Happy Easter to you, by the way. I'm sure, I mean, this is the first time you're listening to me since the Easter holiday. Last time we, we heard from each other was Friday. So happy Easter to you. Now, let's uh, come to Dr. Saraki for a bit. I have to ask you the obvious question, of course. Why do you want your party's ticket? That's the most obvious question, right? Um, what accomplishments do you believe prove that you are the right man to get it? Let me also join and say happy Easter to all your listeners. Um, I, my great desire, what I would like to do is um, to serve. I believe that Nigeria can be better. Mm-hmm should be better than where we are today. I personally have a strong feeling about that. But to answer that question, let me just take us back to a bit of narrative of where we are as a country today. Okay. I think it's important to let us see how grim the situation is where the country today, we are facing essentially a crisis. We have two wars, terrorism both in the Northeast and the Northwest. We've got armed militias attacking people's homes in the north central farms at homes. You know, we have self-adaptation, secession in the southeast, and we've got unprecedented theft or theft in the south-south. Mm. On top of that security issue, we have hardship. We have cost of living gone up. People say today people spend, what, 70% of their income just on food. So you can see how difficult it is today for the average Nigerian to be able to cope with. And I believe that given a chance, I can turn that around. I can provide a better future because by my experience, by my character, by the kind of courage I've shown in previous responsibilities I've held, and my capacity and knowledge, I'll be able to provide that kind of leadership that's required to turn around where we are today. And my those who have followed me both when in as an essay to President Bassinger, being a governor, I've always been somebody that has a great passion to get things done. I'm not a talker, I'm more of someone that gets things done. Somebody who is ready to take on challenges and deliver with solutions. The country needs leaders that are capable, a leader that is, as I say, courageous, got the strength, the stamina to do the work, and understands the issues. Being as governor in Kwara State, the Kwara State I left much better than before because I met. I was Senate President with all humility, 
the senior president, the senior president, I left him much better than when I met him. And I believe I become president. I will leave Nigeria in a much better place than I, than I met him because I've been somebody who, over time, I always look for solutions and I try and find solutions. And where we are as a country today, we can't get sentimental. We have to look at who has that courage, who has the ability to know what the issues are, who has that drive to push it through, who has shown in the past that he has what it takes to make those changes that are required, whether it's the issue of security, whether it's the issue of the economy. Um, those are the things, and I believe that I have that, those characters, I have those characteristics that are required, and I'm very passionate about making this country better for the younger generation. I also believe that we have loads of potential as a country. The, the continent as it is today is where a lot of people are looking to, but you need leadership, you need the right kind of leadership. And I believe that I'm also a bridge between the young and the old. Uh, also a bridge between in uniting this country between the north and the south. And one of the most important things today also is the private sector. Government is only, what, something like 9% of GDP. So government alone can't make those investments that are required. So you need a president that does in the business sector also who believe that the right kind of leadership, because confidence has a lot to do with the kind of investment you see in your country. Now, I want to come back to that point you made earlier on about um, being governor of Kwara State. You were governor for eight years. What tangible um, development indices improved while you were in office? And which of your policies were responsible for it? One of the, and our state was really seen at the time when I became governor as a state that was really civil service driven state. But I came in with an approach where we had to drive the private sector. One of our major achievements was the issue of commercial farming, which today it's the model that is being used across the, across the country, where the focus before my time was really developing small-scale farming. I came in and said, yes, small-scale farming is important, but for you to be able to reduce the cost and increase production, you must be able to have large-scale farming. And we had this scheme we came in with the Zimbabwe farmers at the time and today they, ha they have one of the largest poultry farm production poultry farm in in the country and that's created a lot of jobs and based on that model you see in different parts of the country now you're seeing backward integration in sugar it's large-scale farming you're seeing the rice rice production and rice meal everybody's talking about is large-scale farming and countries that have been able to be self-sufficient do not rely entirely on small-scale farmers. You have large-scale farmers, and then the small-scale farmers piggyback on the large-scale farmers, and that's how you increase production. Because large-scale farmers, by and large, by and large, can have access to funding, they're more educated, they more have business. The small-scale farmer, I found out when I was governor, is always, maybe on average, his age is about 55 to 60. Level of education, probably most of them drop out after secondary school. Can they walk up with a bank and be able to get... They cannot. So you can see the limitation mm. when they approach. So that's something that significantly we've been able to do. Secondly, also, in, we've been able to also get in at that time different industries coming in the sector. Today, you have things, companies like Olam, who are huge. They started some of the export in Nigeria doing cashew nut at that time. Now they've got a big um, million process in the factory in, in Kwara. So the focus was to move away from being a civil servant community or state and move to enable private sectors to come in. And that's, we've seen that significantly. Investment also in the health, health sector. I started a long time ago, the, what I call universal health care, the first in the country, where you focus on trying to get insurance cover, not just for people in employed sector, because that's not too difficult because the employers probably will be able to pay the insurance. But people in the informal sector, in the villages. And we're able to at that time start a scheme with a Dutch company where with 200 Naira, you cover all your primary health care from malaria to childbirth to hypertensive to diabetes. And when you do the statistics, that covers probably 70% of what takes people to hospitals. Now, that again is now the model. And that's one of the things I, I hope when I 
do when I become president that there must be universal health care coverage. And no Nigerian must take money from disposable income for health. Health should be primary basic health care, should be free, affordable, and available. Now you can be able to see that both mortality and mobility will come down. Life expectancy will go up. And I hope that in two years, we should be able to now, the coverage now is about 9%, 10% of the best. My target is in two years' time, we'll probably get to about 50%. Think of Nigeria where every Nigerian can walk up to any health center and get free basic Medicare, primary health care. The country will be healthier and it will transform the health sector in this country. We're going to come back to that, but I want to move very quickly because we've got just one one hour. <laughs> oh, okay. But I want to move very quickly to uh, your political party, the People's Democratic Party, right? I want to talk about your path to the PDP ticket. You and a few other aspirants have been advocating for what you call a consensus candidate. Explain to Lagos what you mean by that, first of all, and then why you are endorsing this method of picking the flag bearer. Well, the whole purpose of um, the concept of consensus is first of all was to accept that the ambition of the country is larger than an individual ambition. There are many people that probably are qualified, that can be president, but first of all, as I said, I've listed the challenges the country faces. Mm -hmm. When you realize that, you realize that it is not an I, I, I issue. It's, it's a we, us. Right. We must come together. Right. We must, even after winning an election, I see myself as a president that will unite people. The, the problems of the country are so much that you must be able to have a government that has everybody on board. I'm, I'm a key team player. If you look at my antecedent, you can't run Senate president for four years. and You must have the skill to hold people together. And the open of consensus is this concept that the Nigeria we face ahead requires teamwork, reminds everybody. It's not an I, you, one person running. And that's our concept. That look, let's come together. 19 people looking for one position. There's only one person going to get it. Mm -hmm. And we, we, that should not be our attitude. The attitude should be, let us begin to talk to ourselves. Let us see how we can concede here and there and see whether there's somebody that we can all agree that, look, we, we, we're ready to work with this person. And so at the moment, what we're doing, we're, we're talking amongst ourselves. And, we've, and it's a very important uh, approach because it also helps the way you run government. You, know, you run the government if you have the opportunity to be president. And that's what lacks sometimes in, in leadership, where people are not ready to work together because the country is so disunited and that concept is so important and it's it has brought a lot of us a few of us that are doing it together and i believe that it will lay the foundation for a stronger government because the concept of unity is key because we, we have seen now and that's why the party some of us advocates in the party that were now you might not be able to bring down to one candidate but anything you do that reduces, reduces the rancor, reduces the, the, the kind of fallout that comes from primaries where you have 19 people looking for one position. If you go to primaries with four, five, you're getting closer to be able to work together. Now, those who oppose uh, consensus candidacy say that it's less democratic than either direct or indirect primaries since it limits the decision making to candidates themselves or a few stakeholders and or a few stakeholders in the party. What do you say to that? No, it's a bit of both. Um, you're not, you're not, it's not an either or. Mm. The, the purpose of the consensus is to try and reduce, reduce the number of people Finally, you would go to a primaries. You still would go before the people to choose. But I, with the chances that you have a smooth and successful primaries with less number of people you are out there. Mm. So it's not, it's not an either or. I'm not saying that um, we should not have some kind of primaries where the members of the party and the delegate will participate. No, not at all. Mm. I'm not saying it's not an either or. But I'm just saying that if we can try as much as possible to reduce the crowd... And then you still have a number that will go to the primaries. Then it's, it's even easier then for people to really get to know their candidate. The critics also say that PDP has never needed a consensus candidate. PDP has won uh, four out of the six presidential elections in the Fourth Republic, 
and has never needed a consensus candidate. Uh, when the APC beat the PDP in 2015, uh, Muhammad Buhari was um, a flag bearer and he emerged from an indirect um, primary, not mm. consensus. So is consensus candidacy solving a problem that doesn't exist? No. As I said, it's not an either or. Hmm. Um, in the APC, there was consensus work before we get to the primaries. Hmm. I mean, some of us are new. There were, there were candidates that before the primaries, consensus kind of led them to have stepped down. At least I know about three aspirants who did not participate. And when we went to the APC, if you remember, there were about four aspirants. Mm -hmm. But before then, there were about eight or nine aspirants. The consensus work, which is normally done behind the scenes in, in trying to say, listen, let's have a consensus candidate. That does not say that who else is interested in contesting should not contest. I need, I need to clear that. It's not an either-or. Okay. So even in the, in the APC, there was there was some kind of consensus understanding okay. that let us support Buhari. Okay. Tom said, no, we're not going to support Buhari. So, okay, fine. Go to the primaries. Okay. So, that's, so it's not that um, it's an either-or. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a bit of both. It's just a way of trying to sort of reduce the crowd, make it easier to manage the convention. Because don't forget the convention of the primaries is just one step. The main issue is still the election, going out to go and face Nigerians before the party. So it's always better for a party to be united, to focus on the issue, which is the other party. This is like a family thing when you really do primaries. So what you can do in order to ensure that you stay united, you stay focused, you, you work towards the major objective, which is your party winning, anything that can make that happen and work smoothly, it's, it's encouraging all democracies, not just in... Uh, in PDP. Lagos, let me remind you, we're streaming live. Nigeria Info 99.3. That's for Facebook. YouTube is Nigeria Info FM. And keep those questions coming in. Uh, we've got WhatsApp. WhatsApp is 080-959-75805. We've also uh, got um, YouTube, Nigeria Info FM. You can tweet at us at Nigeria Info FM. Now, let's take a step back, Dr. Uh, Saraki. Let's go to when you were at the Senate. The 8th Senate... Uh, um, of which you were president, is credited with passing a high number of bills. Mm. But the president vetoed a large number of those same bills. Why were you and the executive unable to find middle ground more often to break the um, deadlock and deliver needed legislature to Nigeria? Well, uh, if you look at the uh, record, even if you just go by the ones that the president signed, hmm. we're still, the assembly had done the most. So we could have done more if you had signed all. But even with the ones we've signed, that he signed, still makes us, the assembly has just passed the most bills that were signed. Hmm. I mean, that's, 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 that has established the fact. Now, why couldn't we have done more? I think the reason you will find out are some of the bills that were turned down, um, were turned down not for in the interest of Nigerians. Sometimes they were turned down because of the not so good relationship between the two. It's unfortunate on their part because you know the process of bills, you, you pass first reading, second reading, you do a public hearing. The public hearing is an opportunity where everybody is meant to come in and give his own opinion, including the ministries. You pass it and it goes to the president to, to sign. But in the system they operate, in our when you send it to the executive, they now send it back to the justice or to the ministries, and then they start picking holes there, So, which is rather unfortunate because that's not the way the process should be. Because at the time of public hearing, all those comments, all those areas should have been addressed. It's unfortunate because I think people who should have looked at the interests of Nigeria were looking at the issues they had with, with the Senate or the National Assembly. Hmm. And that's a, an example of where you know, better relationship with the arms of government. On our own part, I mean, I take myself as an individual, our focus was about Nigeria. Yes, the, um, our Senate and the executive had their issues, but Nigeria's interest should have been higher than that. And that's what we did 
in, in the Senate. So and that's why we're able to do those things that we did. So what should the next president do differently to um, reduce um, gridlock on bills and budgets, assuming that, like President Buhari in his first term, they end up with a National Assembly that they don't fully agree with or which is controlled by another party? What should the next president do differently? Well, first of all, I thought you would ask me that if I were president, what would I, what would I do? First of all, as a president in, in the system we operate, the interest of Nigeria is paramount. There are elections. I can't, in the legislative arm, say because I didn't want you, Mr. President, as president, means that I will not do what's in the interest of Nigeria. They've been elected or duly elected by the Constitution, and what requires now is to put the interests of Nigeria and work together. If I were, if I'm the president, for example, as you see, I will work very closely with the National Assembly. There will be meetings with the caucus leadership of the National Assembly on all issues. The National Assembly should be able to meet with them on a weekly basis with the leadership. Because that's sometimes, sometimes when I see people reporting meetings of the executive cabinet meeting, the meeting with the caucus of leadership of national is, is even as important, if not more important, because that is where the work is. They are the representing the people. That is where the rest of the other people are appointed. So a, a president should ensure that he works closely with national say meets with them on budget meets with them on policies because even to create the right investment environment needs consistency of policies and consistency of policies is not by executive order the business sector wants to see that a law or a policy is stable and it's going to be there for a while and the best way to do that is to hinge on legislation so even when you drive your environment for creating business, you must work with the National Assembly because the National Assembly will give that law, that backing, that gives confidence to an investor. So that is why, but you see, you need to have experienced both arms of government. I'm speaking from the experience. I've been a governor for eight years. I've been in the National Assembly. I understand the importance. As you see cabinet meetings going on, that is the way you see, uh, if I'm president, meeting with, with the leadership of the National Assembly. When you do that, you will not have problems either with the budget, you know how problems are appointment because you're consulting with them. You're sitting, you're seeing them as partners. But unfortunately, maybe because we're still used to the military time where it's just judiciary and executive, people really don't understand how important legislation. When you look at other developed um, democracies, you see how important, I mean, the closest to us is the U.S. system. You see in the U.S., when, when there are important issues, the president is not meeting with his cabinet. The president is meeting with leadership of the of Congress, and that is what it should be. Uh, unfortunately, what you see, you see ceremonial meetings, maybe a dinner uh, once in every three months at Easter, at uh, Salah. No, no, no. There should be working meetings to discuss issues and, and be able to agree on, on common positions. So when you do that approach, so even if the National Assembly is not... One party doesn't have the majority. It doesn't matter because, in, in, I mean, I'll be fair to a lot of members in National Assembly. When you go into Parliament, though you're coming under a party, you must you are representing Nigerians across your state or your constituency, and as such, you put Nigeria first. Because the challenges that we see, whether they're insecurity, they're poverty, it doesn't decide whether you're APC or PDP. Everybody's is going through a difficult time. The the, the insecurity does not say, "Oh, you're a PDP." Okay. I, I, you, you are not, you're safe. I'm not going to kidnap you. I'm going to kidnap you. It doesn't. So that approach, but if you have that experience of bringing people together because your past experience has, has led you to understand how it works, then then you'll be able to get the two arms of government to work very well together. All right, Lagos, if you just tuned in, you're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. I'm Sandra Ezekwesili, and I have Dr. Bukola Seraki on the show with me. He is a former two-term governor of Kwara State. He was also the president of the 8th Senate. He tried to be Nigeria's president in 2019. He's trying again to be Nigeria's president. We have talked about consensus candidates, uh, candidates 
candidature. We've talked about um, the primaries in the PDP. We've talked about why he wants the ticket. We've talked about his time at the Senate. Would love to take your questions too. So send them to us on Facebook, Nigeria Info 99.3. Uh, send them to us as well on WhatsApp. WhatsApp is 080-959-75805. Women call us on 01465-7190. Men call us on 0700-993-993-993. We've got lots of comments on Facebook. It's going to be really um, uh, difficult to choose which is which and we have a break coming up in any case so here's what's going to happen we'll take a break when we come back from this break we're going to pivot to nigeria's fiscal reality we'll move from there to security and see how much time we have left and if we can take calls in that time don't forget we're streaming live on facebook facebook is nigeria info 99.3 youtube nigeria info fm you can watch this interview live and you can also share your thoughts as we go along if you miss it you can listen again on our website NigeriaInfo.fm. This is Nigeria Info. Don't go away. It's 3.30. I'm Sandra Ezekwesili. This is Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. I've got Dr. Bukola Saraki on the show with me. He is a former two-term governor of Kwara State. He was also the president of the 8th Senate. And he is a presidential aspirant hoping to get the PDP ticket. Uh, before the break, we were talking about your time as Senate president. And I have to ask you one final question mm-hmm. before we move on from that. President Buhari accused the assembly of padding the budget now of course the national assembly has every right to increase or reduce the budget and change line items since they have the power of the purse um but do our budget and procurement systems have do they leave too much room for price inflation do you think uh, as somebody who has seen, and I like what you said earlier on when you said you've seen this thing from both ends of the divide as a legislator and an executive. Um, do you think that there are extra mechanisms that uh, we can put in place to make them more transparent? Definitely. You can, we can improve the procurement process. And one of the things I'm proposing if I become president is to review the procurement process so that there can be better value for money because you must ask yourself think about it government at the moment is boasting that oh they're doing full implementation of budget but you wonder well, how come nigerians are not seeing the impact of that and the reason you is, is that the cost the value of some of those jobs are not money well spent so what we need to do is to ensure that the v- value of jobs of contracts that are given out are efficiently done so that people would be able to see value for example when i was as way back as 2003 when i was governor one of the things i brought into the government then first of its kind in, in the entire country was what i call price intelligence unit price intelligence unit this is what this is supposed to what bureau uh, bureau of public procurement should do where you centralize the process by which you acquire or you buy or you carry out expenditure. For example, today you come you come and see a solar light being done in one agency at two million per pole, and then another agency it's it's far less than that, or even more than that. Now those are inefficient way of which a budget when you talk about padding, I mean that's the wrong word, but that shows that if you can have a more efficient and streamlined process, you will not see that variability between prices between different projects you should be able to have you should be able to have um for lampposts solar lampposts this is a standard price for kilometer of road this is a standard price uh, for for water pumps this is a standard kind of price etc etc by so doing then you now ensure that your budget is slim is tight and it's efficient by the moment you're not saying that so definitely one thing that needs to be done is have a review of the procurement procedures and see how you can ensure that for every naira you are really getting your best value for work, mm. and Nigerians uh, will, will benefit from that. So you have less corruption, the money going to, out to the individual pockets. You will have stopped that because you are now making sure that if a pro, if a contract is ten million, it's ten million to do the job. Not that a contract is ten and actually it's like two is is what it costs to do the job, and eight or eight of that money 
just been stolen. Okay. Let's talk about Nigeria's fiscal reality. Um, over 90% of federal revenue is going to debt servicing. Um, there's no way to cut that figure in the next four years. That means that the next president will have to work with less than 10% of federal revenue plus whatever debt they decide to raise. Given this fiscal reality, what's the best path for the federal government between 2023 and 2027? Is it borrowing massively to fund an agenda or keeping new debt low and restricting itself to a less ambitious agenda? What's the path? About 10 questions now. <laughs> questions. I'll, let, remind let, you. Let, let try, I'll remind you. I'll remind you which one. Let me try and take, it and take you through. Okay. First of all, I don't agree that you can't reduce the borrowing. Okay. I, you can on the, on the medium term. I think after about two years, you should be able to reduce it. And I'll tell you why. Okay. First of all, you must have an approach that borrowing sh should not be your first option. Okay. Currently in this government, you're borrowing for consumables. You're borrowing for recurrent expenditure. In my government, my presidency, we will not do that. That should not be. The other day, government was boasting that, oh, they went and raised euro bond of two point something billion dollars. For what? For subsidies as a consumption? That's a no-no. You can't. So there's nothing wrong in borrowing, provided you use it for where there's value, where it's going to create growth and jobs. But where you're borrowing for consumption, that is a no-no-no. So if you take an approach from 2023, a government that says, I'm not borrowing for consumption, first of all, your borrowing would, would, would reduce. Secondly, you must also address things like forest subsidy that is taking about $4 trillion which you're boring to do that that honestly that does not make any sense so that is number three if you can improve your revenues you also reduce borrowing now as of today as i said in my opening remarks you have unprecedented oil theft going on mm. where on average we're told today 200 to 500 thousand barrels we're losing on a daily basis either from theft or shut down if you get that up again you will reduce your borrowing that's, that's, I've given you three different examples. Number four, more importantly, is investment. At the moment, zero direct investment to the country because there's no confidence in the, in the economy and in the government. If you get a government in 2023 with good leadership, good policies, that's why I said medium term. It would take them, they're going to watch for a while. An investor is not going to just come in because, oh, I've got a good president in Nigeria. He's saying the right things. They want to see that you're backing that up with action. By the time they do that, most of the things that government is spending money on, you begin to see private investment coming in. FDIs are coming in. Number five, you need to provide microeconomic stability. At the moment, you're not seeing that. You're seeing exchange rate is not stable. You begin, nobody's gonna come in in this kind of environment. And then lastly also, you must, you must, move away from where oil prices and expenditure, you must delink that. What we tend to do in this country is once the oil price goes up, we spend. Prices, oil prices are not in control. Once it comes down, we go into a recession. You must be able to reduce your expenditure. So you must be try as much as possible to be responsible and be a bit conservative. You can't spend, you've got to start to save significantly so that your results go up there's confidence in an investor. So, yes, you can. You would be able to reduce your borrowing. Two, because you're going to be more disciplined on what they're doing now, where you're borrowing towards consumables. So, it's not that very, it's not too gloomy. That's why I say Nigeria can be better. It would be better, given into the opportunity for those that know what it requires to be better. Mm. It's about, honestly... It's about capacity. I feel so passionate and because I, I know what it takes to turn this country around. Okay, and let's that's not why campaign. Let's not campaign. No, let's I'm not, not campaign. campaign. <laughs> I'm explaining it. <laughs> let's not campaign. Okay. Okay. Now, but I, I need to hear, yeah, though, yeah, what, what policies do you think the next president, and, and I'm choosing my words very carefully. That's why I'm not saying if you were president. I'm saying the next okay, president. All right, next all right. So what policies do you um, think the next president um, should prioritize okay, right. with very limited funds available to improve the economy okay. and increase federal revenue? Okay. Three major issues. Okay. One is the security of the country. 
we've got to secure the country. Hmm. Two is the economy. Very important. Okay. And for me, another important one is the rule of law, right? A, a more a restructured country and then delivery of government services. Now, and I'll take them quickly one by one. Okay. The security of the country is it's key. The government must take a different approach on security issues. We must hold people accountable. There must be a political will as a country where people are being kidnapped or attacked on major roads leading to the capital consistently. And we can't, that, that's, that's something that needs to be addressed head on. I believe that ensuring that you apply more technology approach. Today, there are, there are many ways of ensuring that the issue of banditry and kidnapping, we must address that. So you invest a lot of your funding, spend properly, spend properly in the, in, the, in the issue of security because government is spending already. So some will argue that, but we're spending, but I don't think it's being well accounted for. On the side of the economy, because they go in hand, because it's the hopelessness and unemployment for the youth that sometimes push them to some of those that you see doing the banditry, the kidnapping. So the two are kind of like interwined between security and economy. Hmm. On the economy side, as I, as I was saying, that you must create an enabling environment that, that will encourage investment. Let's take it. I'll just try and run and run a quick mm -hmm. issue of power. As of today, as we can see around the country, that is because the right kind of investment and the right kind of decisions are not being taken. You must, the bottlenecks you must address, particularly the area of transmission. You must be able to look at that and, and quickly take this on what is the best way forward. What do you think the best way forward is? The best way forward is a mixture of two. Is either you're going to invest and look for money and really expand the capacity of the transmission, or you're going to concession that part to people that really know what needs to be done and don't get sentimental of the fact that you still have a Nigerian institution that the people there have not got the experience and the capacity. And that's why at the moment to today, the transmission cannot take more than 5,000. Why countries not even, even as big as us are going up to 20,000. So you got to either you, you, you privatize it, you concession it out, you find money to, to develop and improve on the investment in the tr in transmission. Secondly, power, uh, gas, I mean. We must, again, all, we only earn $30 billion. I believe that in two years, three years down the line, the right kind of investment in gas, we can earn $30 billion also in gas. So we can double our revenue by putting the right kind of investment. Already it's started. I mean, it's taken so long. Um, if, if the government continues along this pathway, we believe that in the gas sector, we can stimulate things like petrochemical industries. We can see gas projects. These are the areas, as you know now, there's, there's a lot of demand for gas. And that's an infrastructure that over the years that we can really build on. And that will increase, increase the revenue. That's a priority on the issue of gas. The priority also we must look at is how do we make life easy for the Nigerian who is in business. Today, you bring in items into the ports. It takes ages. You must go back to see how we can have a more efficient way of discharging. 48 hours turnaround time. Issue of e-customs, e e you must look at that. Review the processes of importation. Reduce the cost of, of exports to so those that want to export. Our ports are not enough. Government must provide capital, invest that we use to expand ports, or incentives for people to develop ports in, in Nigeria. Th that's it. I talked about policy consistency. Nobody is going to come and invest in a country where they're not sure that the policies are consistent. And that's why you must have bills that support those kind of sectors. Also, also as also as important is that you must also address, um, for example, look at the mining sector. To the mining sector today is what like 0.5 of GDP. This is a sector that we really need to look at the laws and ensure that what incentives. There are a lot of big mining companies across the world. They're in they're in, they're in Guinea, they're in Guinea, in, they're in Mali, they're in, in other parts of West Africa, but they're not in Nigeria. Where something we're doing wrong. Because we do have the, the mineral resources, but it hasn't been a focus. The next president must take it as a focus because that will help in the area of, of, of oil earnings. I, I'm listening to you and I'm yeah. wondering, how will the federal government be able to pay for all of this when more than 90% of revenue is going to debt servicing? But 
the things I'm talking about are not things that require payment. But yeah. you talked about. Uh, it, let me take it one by one again. Or you tell me, tell me the one specifically. So, so you you talked about um, the transmission uh, infrastructure. Yes, the but infrastructure I did. For yeah, power, but I right? said there are two options. You mm -hmm. can either concession it out, mm -hmm. or you can privatize it. But we tried concession and because look where that got us. That you see, that's what I'm saying. When we take the wrong decisions, mm. the, the 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 policy might be right, but the implementation was poor. Mm. That should not sh we should not shy away from doing what is right. If it's clear, and, and again, you see, if you look across the world, these are things that have worked everywhere else. But sometimes we bring in some of the factors where we should take the right decision. We either take it for, for personal reasons, don't do what's right. Some of this, government doesn't need to pay a, spend a penny. Concession it out to those that know what to do. Don't concession it out to a company that just registered maybe a year ago with no experience, but because he knows somebody that knows somebody... Let's do things properly. But the, the, but the next president is one man or woman. You know, that's yeah. just one man or one woman. The, the people who he's not in charge of the procurement process. I, he's not in no, charge no, of no, the no, rest no, no. of Sandra, it. Sandra, I don't agree with that. You see, when you lead a place, whether even in your business, mm. if you are the CEO, you take responsibility. That's why the CEO must be capable to understand the issues. If you have a vision of what you want to happen, you will drive that process. And anybody who is in the way who doesn't see that vision, you'll find somebody who sees that vision. If you decide you want a concession now to BYB company who has over so many years experience, has been able to deliver to it in different parts of the countries and can do it, then you follow it through in making it happen. Hmm. But if you don't know what, is, what has to be done and you're relying on people, subordinates who, because of their own vested interests, are guiding you, which is what happened the last time you tried the transmission. Hmm. So my point is that these things are not difficult if we have a if we have leadership that has competent people to work along and there's there is a sense of purpose purpose of mind that we must deliver it's it's it, it's i mean you look like as if it's it's not as difficult as that okay Just, uh, honestly to me and that's my those are my thoughts and some of the things i talked about government doesn't need to be spending to get it done. To get it done. Okay, so the National Assembly has passed a constitutional amendment mm -hmm. giving states the power to set up energy regulatory commissions. What's your take on the idea of unbundling the national grid? It's good. Because it's all part of trying to get the best hands to do it. It's trying to decentralize and trying to see that decision making are better and done better. And you try and get the best hands to do it. So if, if you're that, and it's a frustration where you're relying on this so-called big TCN or this so-called power unit. But if you, if you decentralize and you, you, you are able to give it to states who maybe because it's a state, this you're making is quicker, turn around is quicker. There are more efficient people that can run it. Why not? So it's all part of what I'm saying, the efficiency of making it happen. It's not all about money as regards to capital. It's more of running an efficient government. Okay. If you just tuned in, Lagos, you're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. I've got Dr. Bukola Saraki in my seat, and uh, he's talking to us about his ideas for what uh, could work if Nigeria uh, does certain things, implements certain policies, takes different directions. He wants to be president. He's hoping to get the ticket to be president uh, from the PDP. Let's pivot to security. We've got less than <laughs> 10 minutes. But yeah, let's pivot very quickly to uh, security. What do you believe, Dr. Saraki, are the underlying factors fueling the growing insecurity in the Northwest and the North Central. Let's start with that. And then we'll move on to talk about how you think these should be tackled. When, especially you bear in mind, the, again, back to limited funds. Limited funds available for strengthening the security agencies and the armed forces. I, I don't think there they are limited funds. The funds available at the moment that government is spending on security should be able to give us better results than we're getting now. I think one of the most important things is that there must be, as I said, a political will, truly. I think, unfortunately, it has turned into what I call a security economy. Mm. There are people who are benefiting from this present situation we find ourselves in. I don't believe that in the 21st century of today, with, with the technology that we have, that kidnapping should be an issue that we can't be able to tackle. I honestly don't believe that. And I, I really believe that where 
of people are not held accountable. Uh, with, with, for example, the last three weeks we saw what happened in Kaduna. We saw what happened in Kaduna, uh, Abuja. We saw what happened on the rail. Until today, who, nobody's accountable. No, nobody's being held accountable for it. And in that kind of environment, how, how do you expect to see results? So I believe that the approach has to be different. People must be held accountable. We must also who do you think should be held accountable? Those, uh, those who are responsible for providing security in those areas. It's a case of it's a case of where you're in charge of here, and you've been given a, a matching order that I must not see this kind of events, and they do happen. You know, you 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 must be held accountable, and we'll find somebody else also to to do it until we until we get the best hands to get it right. That's the one. Number two, if you talk about the the kind of training and the equipment that you can also provide today to ensure that our uh, men and women of the, both the military and of the police are, are well equipped and well motivated, that also must happen. But I, I go back to the value of how the money is being spent. It's so important. So I, I don't think that it's not that we need more money. Yes, we would need in certain areas, but I even think what we have should be uh, brought better results than we have today. But on the, underneath all that, we must go back to the underlying issues. Poverty, lack of jobs, education. These are things that, at the end of the day, you must also address at the same time. You must be able to put 55% of youth unemployment, 33% in the country, are also the underlying things that also push some of the security challenges. So as you address the immediate issues, you must also address the medium to long term issues of, of job creation, of, of ensuring that you, 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 your youth have, an, have a, a better future and, and they can be able to, like for example, you talk about things like voc um, vocational skills, you have people that you can train and be able to get them jobs, empower them and be able to create and add value to, 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 to growth in the, co in the country. I, I want to come back to a point you made earlier on about um, a, a security economy. Was that what you called it? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And uh, some people benefiting from this. Uh, we have had some traditional le uh, rulers, uh, local government and state officials, mm -hmm. security personnel as well, um, indicted for collaborating with armed gangs and so-called bandits. Um what should the next president do to root out stakeholders who are complicit? Now, you talked about it a little bit when you said, well, hold them accountable. What will that look like? You said, okay, if someone's supposed to be in charge of here and they're not doing it right, what will that look like exactly? Well, you fire those. Those that need to be fired are fired. Look, for example, let's, just take, let's take oil theft. Oil. You can't steal oil and just take it out of the country. You must steal it from the pipe, put it onto barges. Barges will move. Today, you can sit here in your in this Info FM, and you can, if you have a technology overseeing all that CCTV across there, you can see it. You can see people moving that oil. So, the question is: there must be complacency. There must be the, the, there must be people who are working, who are benefiting from this. That's the point I'm saying that people must be held accountable. I don't believe today that you can s steal oil and people will not know it's been done. So a serious government must be able to come out straight and say, enough is enough. This must stop. And those who are in, who are in charge, whether it's a military, it's a private agencies, this must stop. Again, the president is one person. The president has to lean on all these other people you've mentioned to enforce that. How will that happen? How will that look like? Everybody will take you from leadership. I, I bring it back even to companies. You take over a company where the practice has always been to steal products of the company. Mm. The moment a new person comes in charge and takes an approach that this is not going to be acceptable, people quickly do what is right. My take is that there, for years, there is no way five, 200,000 barrels of crude oil can go without people who are compromising. You make examples of them. You make examples of those who are doing it. And I promise you, Sandra, you see, you might not be able to eliminate it completely, 
but you will reduce it significantly. 2.3 billion dollars to be losing like that is unacceptable. And that is why I take the union. A president must be courageous and bold and be able to take on these interests. Okay, let's go to comments we have on social media, shall we? We've got a few on Twitter, we've got some on Facebook, we have a lot on WhatsApp. All right, let's start with Twitter. Uh, this one here says Nigeria spends. Nigeria spends too much in running the National Assembly. What do you think about cutting down on salaries, allowances, other expenses, and the size of our legislature Legislature, in terms of the number of legislators or practicing a unicameral legislature? So that's one question. You think about that question, we'll take a break. When we come back, you'll answer it. We're also going to take a few calls. Uh, he has said, oh, yes, I want to talk to Lagos. I really want to. So we will uh, take at least a few calls. We're out of time, but we'll take at least two calls after the break. And then um, we'll answer all the questions at once. I'm Sandra Ezekwesli. This is Nigeria Info 99.3. You're listening to Hard Facts. Don't go away. I'm trying to beg uh, Dr. Saraki to let me talk to him for another hour, but you see he has other appointments. So we'll beg him to come back to the studio some other time. But yes, uh, before the break, Dr. Saraki, we had a question about yeah. uh, the National Assembly. Uh, Mr. Felix at Flexit Tweets was asking, well, uh, Nigeria spends too much in running the National Assembly. What do you think about yeah. cutting down on salaries, allowances, other expenses, and the size of our legislature in yeah. terms of the number of legislators or practicing a unicameral legislature? Well, uh, as I said, part of what we must do is we must run a tighter budget. We must reduce go government expenditure. Whether it's legislative arm of government or executive arm of government, we must generally try and see how much we can cut down. I think, unfortunately, legislative arm of government gets a lot of bashing on this. Uh, and people will think, okay, being a former head of that arm of government, I always want to defend it, but one of the facts that I always try to let people know is that the total expenditure of legislative arm of government is less than 8% of total expenditure. That's number one. Number two, first accept the fact I said we must reduce. We must try and see how we reduce generally. So I'm not saying we, we can't reduce. Mm. But the work of the legislative arm of government is not appreciated in the sense that we, it might not be working well, but they have an important role to play. One of your questions you asked me at the beginning of this program mm. was expenditure, budget, padding, ensuring that Nigerians get value for money. Mm -hmm. The only arm of government whose responsibility is to ensure that the road in leading to Sandra's house to ensure that it is done properly and government does it properly, spends the right kind of money, is the legislative arm of government. So if you weaken that, the executive can carry out and do things that are not in the interest of, of, of the people. So what needs to be done is make it better, not say that, you know, it has no value. And I think the problem is because over the years, too, the National Assembly has not done itself a great favor in letting Nigerians understand that they have value. And one of the things I did when I was Senate president was try and talk about issues that affect the average man on the street. You know, we, we, we talk about motion, people and say, look, how does this, how does this affect my life? The more, the more we spend more time and people begin to see that National Assembly is where I go to to see that I'm getting a fair share in this country in what is due to me, then people will begin to appreciate that that amount of money is a small investment in the bigger picture. And I think that's where the problem is today. So I agree with you. Yes, we can reduce expenditure in both arms of government. Legislative arm of government is relevant and important in also ensuring that what government spend, government can spend better. Mm. If you don't have a legislative arm of government, government can even spend more and less efficient as it's spending now. So mm. it has a great role to play. In the past, maybe not as long as played it as well. But I believe as a democracy gets stronger, it gets better. We will, they will play that role. All right, Lagos, let's talk. We'll take three calls. Yeah, only. go ahead. Three go ahead. calls. Uh, remember, you've got one minute, so go straight to the point, please. Don't greet his ancestors. Just go straight to the point. <laughs> eh? uh, hi, my name is this. Sir, what do you think about this? That's it. 99.3, hello. 
How are you? I'm fine. What's your name? Great. This is, yeah, this is Alex. You see, I point, just want Alex. to point out to your guest that most of the problems Nigeria, Nigeria is facing today are things that, you know, United Nations, World Bank, even our own professors, our own academics here and intellectuals have already predicted some 15 years ago. He talks about um, um, unprecedented oil theft in the Niger Delta. He talks about, you know, the minimal investment in uh, natural gas up to date. These are not things that sprung up or sprung up almost suddenly. You get, oh, I'm not hearing, you see, it's a, real, it's a real functional government institution. should have a means of being able to use data to predict what is likely to happen in so, so, so years' time. He has been, he, we're talking about somebody who's been the last the Senate I mean, president. He's been in government for whole, so many years. These are not things that sprang up today. What did his education, what did his government, what was his own input in all of these things? All right, thanks for calling. 60 seconds, remember, 99.3, hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, what's your name, ma'am? My name is Faith. Faith? I'm calling from Ogun You've got 60 seconds, straight to the point. Yes. I want to talk to Ogasariki. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Okay, sir. I, please, sir, I need... 99.3, hello. Hello, good afternoon. Good afternoon, what's your name? Yeah, this Friday from Ibueleri. Friday, 60 seconds, straight to the point. Yeah, yeah I want to ask uh, the doctor, uh, the former governor, about agriculture. I still remember when he was the governor of Warasti. There is this cassava and some other food stuff that have been exported to Nigeria. A program started by him. Now we are not seeing it. We don't even have enough to eat. If he becomes the president, how do we think? Okay, so let's not say if he becomes the president because they'll come and tell me that he's campaigning, please. Eh? So let's say, what should the next president do? Let's put it like that. So that's one more question. Uh, we'll move to the third person. 99.3, hello. Hello, good Hi. evening. My name is Val. Val, welcome. Yeah, um, uh, welcome, sir. My, my direct question to you is, um, why consensus? Why not collapse structure and give it to somebody that has capacity? Then secondly, if you now were to... Thank you very much for calling. Go ahead. Okay, let me take the first question. Yes, those facts are there. Um, are their weakness is institutions. But that is what we're, some of us are talking about, that people like us should be given opportunity. Yes, you're a part of government, yes. But not part of government in, exec in executing those issues to do with oil theft. Mm. If you go and look at the period, one as a governor of, of governor of state of Quara, one did not play any role or as governor to infect policies on the issue of oil theft. But if you look at the moment I became the Senate president, or even as a senator, I was the only senator in this country that stood up and said that oil fuel subsidy, this theft, and it must stop. Ditto when I became Senate President, and right now I'm still standing on those issues. So the point is, yes, it must be frustrating when you want things to happen. But at the end of the day, the responsibility lies on the man who is sitting down as president because the powers of the president of this country are enormous. When we are tried as Senate President to stand for some of those issues, a lot of people saw what I went through in four years. So, yes, you one has been in government, but not in a position as we address some of these issues. Now, I now go back and talk about what are the things we did in the state. And we talked about, this gentleman was talking about agriculture, where we said, look, we must move away because we looked at Quara and said, this is a civil service state. No, we must expand the private sector. What are we good at? Uh, we're good at cassava. We're good at milk production. We look at poultry. We have maize. And we started seeing how do we encourage farmers to be able to do things differently from now. So the point I'm, I'm, I'm just going to emphasize on is that, yes, one has been in those positions, but you should ask yourself, whilst in those positions, there, my records show that I have been somebody that makes an impact, makes a difference, stands on the things that are important, raise things that are different. I've first person, as I said, that talked about price intelligence unit to ensure right expenditure, raise the issue on first subsidy. That's still an issue today. If they listen to what we did at that time, we will not have that problem today. Talking about the, the independence of the legislative arm of government and stand for what the people's rights has been. That's my contribution as not somebody who is sitting as a president. If given the opportunity, one, because it's, it comes back, because the first question, I know I'm not campaigning, but <laughs> the first question keeps on saying, but well, you were part of government. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, you can be part of it, but if you're not part of that level of decision making, that has to happen. 
but you have gained in, one has gained of experience you know what needs to be done and my own commitment is that knowing what needs to be done definitely there can be a better nigeria all right let's leave it at that dr bukola saraki thank you so much you've been very generous with your time lagos thank you for being a part of this conversation we will do this again uh if he gets the ticket he'll be back and then we'll keep talking on your number one talk station i'm sandra ezekwesili s ezekwesili on social media i'm heading over right now to a co-hotel where we're doing praise jam so come there let's hang let's have a great time and let's celebrate easter together Thank you. Uh, uh, how do they say this again? Ramadan. Um, oh, what, what's the, what, what, what do I say? Karim? Uh, Karim. Ramadan, Ramadan Karim to you. Uh, we do hope that you have uh, a great day of uh, fasting. And thank you so much for making the time to join us on the show. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Lagos, uh, that's all the time we have. You can listen to this again on our website, NigeriaInfo.fm. You can watch it again on Facebook. Facebook is NigeriaInfo99.3. You can watch it on YouTube. YouTube is NigeriaInfo.fm. Those were your hard facts. Lagos, good night. Good night.